in your kingdom, you tell us that we are good enough for you. And that's all that matters. So Father, in this world that wants to tell us that other things matter, uh, help us to know that the only thing we ever need to keep our eyes on is you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Um, Give us humble and open hearts to hear the word that you've delivered to Pastor Joe today. May it pierce us. May it move quickly and stir us to be both hearers and doers of your word. In the name of your son, amen. You may be seated. Man, it's good to be back. Uh, You know, sometimes when the most important person in a church goes on vacation... People are very concerned, you know, what happens if there's a crisis and will the worship service go okay and will everything be smooth and and who's going to overlook and overwatch things and but don't worry guys, Jen Gillespie's back so it's okay, all right? But for, you know, last couple weeks all I heard, oh Megan was so good, Megan this, Megan that, Megan, 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 Megan. I I figured I better get back to work. (laughs) So, (laughs) no, she did a good job and and uh, it was good, it was good uh, to see everything going so well, um, and I'm just glad to be back with my church family. Uh, we have two more sermons left on, in 2 Corinthians this week and next week. Don't forget, next week we have the Lord's Table celebration, so clear out your schedule. We only do those maybe once a quarter, four or five times a year, and they, we want them to be special occasions where everybody comes together, so make sure you're here next week. Also, we have a special announcement for our church next week, too. So just want to give you a heads up on that. And it's not even bad. That's the good thing about it. It's a good announcement. So, um, but this week we're going to uh, continue with our series on 2 Corinthians. Uh, I've titled this one, Knowing for Sure. So my question for you, do any of you ever worry or have any anxiety about your connection to Heavenly Dad? Like, is it real? Does anybody ever worry about that? Or is it just me, your pastor? Yeah. Okay, I worry about it. And frankly, it's one of the most common discussions I have with people that I shepherd. How can we know for certain? How do I get over this anxiety? How can I know that I'm a child of God? How can I know that my soul is saved? How can I know? And every believer thinks about it, and rightfully so, because the stakes are high, right? And doubt creeps in at certain times for all of us. Yes, even pastors. But frankly, it's part of my job to encourage you, to call you out, depending on the circumstances. So that's why we're going to do our passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. This is the third time, this is Paul talking, this is the third time I'm coming to you, and every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all others, and I warn them now while absent. As I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Whoa, (laughs) that's harsh, you know. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you realize that this about, that you not realize this is about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. 
But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For you cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. That's all I care about. I don't care if you think I'm weak. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. It's a pretty harsh passage. It's, it's, the, it's, the first, it's the last section before the final portion of this book. And so let's look at the history of this passage. Just wait till your pastor gets home. You ever heard that like when you were a kid, wait till your dad gets home? Paul says, look, I'm getting ready to come. Make sure you're squared away before I get there. Because if you're not, and if you haven't dealt with these issues I've been talking about, if you haven't dealt with them, I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be severe. See, he had made three visits to this region. That's a significant commitment, guys, because travel was not easy. But the job was important. Remember, each trip was like a month long. It wasn't like, you know, like we've said before, getting on a Greyhound, which is the worst way to travel, by the way, a Greyhound bus. It would have been great compared to the way he traveled. But even during turmoil or conflict, and those seeking to destroy him, some of them to kill him, his love for the Corinthians motivates his effort to be committed and to continue to go there time after time to make sure that they had what they needed to be successful in their walk with Christ. But in the middle of being committed, he's also modest. Because while his detractors boast about their spirituality and how good they are, the false teachers, Paul boasts in his weakness. As a matter of fact, he says, I don't even care if you think I'm weak. My concern is for you to be strong. His team's courage, his team's authority, his team's confidence, and his team's strength is a result of Christ, not themselves. He was not confident in his ability to be a good church dude. He even references how Christ made himself weak in death. He says, for Jesus was crucified in weakness. In other words, he made himself vulnerable to humans. But he lives by the power of God, for we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And Paul says, and this is what's interesting, he says, even if you think that we have failed the test, I'm okay with you thinking that as long as you pass the test. His motive is not for personal success or financial gain like it was for most of the false teachers. His motive is one thing. He wants the spiritual success of the church in Corinth. But he's also bold. See, Paul had already defended himself against those who were gossiping him and slandering him and spreading lies about him and attacking his, the way his body looked weak and how he wasn't a good public speaker. He, he endured all those criticisms in the city and, frankly, by many inside the church itself. In the prior chapters, he defends himself. And he patiently explained his teaching and motives against the false accusations. So now, after he's done that, which we talked about in the last few weeks, he asked them, okay, look, I've examined my life. I want you to examine yourselves, particularly those of you that are my critics, especially those in the church. 
Examine your behaviors. Examine your motives to see if your faith is real. Because here's what's really going on, right? Some of his critics were immoral, slanderous people. They had, they had displayed no effects of faith on their heart and soul. I mean, they weren't even preaching the gospel. But now he says, examine your own. And those were the ones, the ones who were immoral, the ones who were critical, the ones who were outside of the church, the ones trying to slander him. Those are the ones he's going to be severe on, the ones he will not spare. Those are the ones he's talking about being harsh with. The people that did not display spiritual growth. Especially because of this reason. Those are the ones that claim spiritual authority. Don't listen to Paul. Listen to us. We really know what God says. So he says, I, if you haven't stopped doing that garbage, I will be severe when I come back. But there are others who were struggling with this that Paul loved. The ones who had been misguided and misled by these false teachers. The ones slandering Paul. The ones saying, oh, you don't, it's not just trusting Jesus. You also have to be religious. Those are ones that he loved. And he wants to make sure that they know the peace of the real gospel. And so he says, I'm going to use the authority that God has given to me. That I have just spent two chapters reinforcing for your spiritual benefit not mine like those false teachers would. So that's the history of this passage. Let's look at the uh, spiritual application. What does God do and why and how does he do it? So I've titled this, Don't Be Fooled. And I would add in there, by cheap imitations. See, then and now, unfortunately, I was just talking to Nehemiah about some examples of some really formerly very good churches in our community that don't preach the gospel anymore. Then and now, there are many false Gospels. And because of that, this is important. And listen, I don't like this part of my job, but I have to do it. Sometimes I have to be harsh with the authority God has given me as a pastor. There are those who think they have faith, but they don't. Because they believe in a false gospel. Therefore, then and now, this was a big, it's not this, wow, this is a brand new problem in Sarasota that never happened before. No, it's been all over the kingdom. Therefore, virtually every apostle in the New Testament, every one of them has something to say about determining whether or not your faith is real. They give specific examples. Here's how you know that you really know Jesus. So we're going to go through some of these examples. The first one is, I call this verification. We are encouraged to examine our faith on a continual basis, verify its authenticity. And Paul had taught this concept in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but even while I am gone, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is not saying earn your salvation. What Paul is saying is if you have the gift of faith, then you ought to let it work out. Let it show its impact. Let it show its consequences. <clears throat> and all through the New Testament, I could have put 20 verses up there from James, from John, from Mark, from all these guys. And they were talking about, listen, here's how you know you're a child of God. 
and you are to verify it. Continually look. I'm not saying you look at your faith in a way that makes you have anxiety and makes you like, you know, grinding on it like obsessive compulsive. That's not what I'm talking about. But the scripture does say, look at your faith. So that's verification. We are called and told and instructed. It's a good thing to analyze your work, walk with God if it's real. We're told to do that. The next thing is the results. Throughout the New Testament, through all these guys, we are taught there are specific impacts that authentic faith will have in our lives. One of the first examples is in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. Here's what James says. You should be doer the words, doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is just a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James says, look, if you say you're a child of God and you hear what God's word says to do and you don't do it, you're just a natural man. You're not a spiritual one. You're just like everyone else. You're just a hearer and not a doer. And what James is saying really is this. A person who really has the gift of faith, who God lives and dwells in your heart, a person who's been transformed will not just be a hearer. They will be a doer. Not a perfect doer. And we'll get to that in a moment. But they will be doers. In uh, 1 John, by the way, the book, that we're, the book that we're getting ready to start in a few weeks, 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 6. Here's what John says. And by this we know that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus. It doesn't mean he walked perfectly, but he walked in the same direction. So these are two examples. I could have given you dozens of these. There are results of the faith that God has given us. So we see we're supposed to look at it and verify it. We're supposed to see we verify it by looking at these results. Matter of fact, 1 John has another one. I love this result. You ready? This is my favorite. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Doesn't mean they're sinless. Just means they're walking the right direction. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness. And what happens when you walk in darkness? You trip over stuff. You stub your toe. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, one of the results of being a child of God, you love other people who are children of God. You can't get enough of them. You love being around them. You miss them when you don't see them and you desire to be with them. John says, look, if that desire to be with God's people is not there, you're not one of his people, period. These are some results, some impacts of true faith. So we have this verification. We're supposed to verify. We're supposed to look for results. And by the way, there are many more. And we'll talk about those a little bit later. But when you do this, when you look at your faith in a healthy way to verify it, to work it out, to make sure you know that your faith is producing results. And you do that by looking at what the scripture says faith will look like. Look at those results. You know what happens when you do that? There is unbelievable encouragement. When we analyze our faith for authenticity... It creates confidence and peace. 
As a matter of fact, James says that as well. In James chapter 1, 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, testing. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, resilience, consistency. And let consistency or steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James says, when you verify your faith by the results it creates, you will be encouraged because you'll know, look, no matter what's going on, I see all around me evidences that God is in my life. Okay, that's a lot of stuff right there. That's like a fire hose at you, right? There's a lot of information there. I want to talk about the personal side of this today. I want to talk about today. I'm going to give you, as your pastor, a test today <clears throat> that I think can relate to most of you. I don't like this part of my job, mind you. But frankly, as Paul said, God has given me as a pastor the authority. And if I don't do it, who's going to? A lot of people are afraid to address these issues because what happens is I don't want to offend somebody and then they leave our church. I'm afraid of that, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you to leave. I like it when the building is full. It makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> but frankly, I have a responsibility. And I must discuss these things with you just like Paul said in verses 7 through 10, if I don't ask you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to take inventory of your faith, I am not doing my job and I am robbing you of the encouragement that a healthy inventory process can bring. I'm going to ask you today to test your faith. Search and see if its results are in your life. But the first mistake you cannot make, and this is what most Christians do. I want you to stop making this. Don't look back. Don't look back. See, what happens is this. We seek moments, memories of emotional bliss for affirmation and confirmation that our faith is real. Maybe it was a baptism. Maybe it was a time that we walked an aisle and made a decision. Or, or maybe it was some other time where we had this emotional experience let me tell you something. The worst way to test your faith is to look at the past. How we felt at a certain moment. That doesn't give you lasting peace. Because that would be a faith that is based upon experiences and not the work of Christ or the Holy Spirit in your heart and life. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a child of God, the work of God, the Holy Spirit is in your life right now today. And just reflecting on it's okay to remember the past, but to point to that as an affirmation that your faith is real. It's a big mistake. Because you know what happens when we do that? We become addicted to experiences. And our faith and our encouragement is driven by how we experience God instead of how we know him. How he's changing our life. I'm not saying that those times aren't enjoyable and they can and it's going to be a big part of our faith. But that's not where I want you to test your faith. Everybody has emotional experiences. As a matter of fact, the Corinthians were struggling with that. The Corinthians were pursuing 
experiential worship. That was how they determined how spiritual they were. And Paul says, you got to be decent. You got to be in order. And if your worship is like a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal, but does not have love, it's worthless. So don't look back. When we do that, we're looking in the wrong place at the wrong things. Second Corinthians chapter three, 17 and 18. I love this. It says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. We are being, that means right now, a continuous action based upon a past result. We are continually right now being transformed into that same image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. In other words, it's a progressive step. Tomorrow we more like Christ than we are today. We are continually being transformed for this comes from the Lord who is is a spirit. So let me explain it to you this way, right? To understand this, don't look back. God didn't save you. He is saving you. Right now. You with me? God didn't save you. He is saving you. So don't look back, but look at the current impact. Faith is an ongoing influence. It's not a historical event in your life. It never takes time off like me or Jen Gillespie. (laughs) So where should we look? Let's test our faith on some things Paul addressed in his letter that we just spent 11 years studying. Feels like. The first one is vulnerability. Let me tell you something. If there's no vulnerability with your brothers and sisters in your life, it shows a pride, an arrogance, an insecurity, a lack of love. Because one of the greatest ways to show you love someone is being vulnerable with them. Hey, listen, let me tell you what I'm struggling with. So if there's no vulnerability in your life, that's a sign you may not have faith. Sorry, that's what Paul taught us. You know, another proof of faith that you are true to the gospel. You don't mess with a good thing like the false teachers did. You're not looking for the newest, latest, greatest spin on spiritual truth. You know that your salvation is based on the work of Christ on the cross who died so that we wouldn't have to and was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Paul said he died in weakness and was resurrected and lives through the power of God. That's how we live. We die in weakness and are resurrected in the power of God. You're not looking for a different spin on the gospel. You just trust what Paul wrote and what Jesus said. You know, another way you know that you're having a current impact, you thrive in affliction. As opposed to those who might spiral into bitterness, resentment, and anger. Hard times come. Sometimes they come because we make really stupid decisions. Sometimes they come because other people made stupid decisions that hurt us. But when we know that we have the walk, when we're walking with God and we have the Spirit of God in our life, we are able to thrive during affliction. Our faith is stronger. Our faith becomes more real. Our faith becomes more comforting. That's why James says, count it a privilege when you go through different testing and trials, because the testing of your faith produces steadiness. 
All right, you want another proof that God is currently impacting your life? How about this one? You are reconcilers as opposed to being complainers, conflict magnets, and fight starters. If somebody's always starting conflict, there's a good chance they don't have faith in their lives. Because what God does, he takes us from being selfish conflict starters to those who seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a priority. It's a motivation. You know another one? We are surprisingly generous. Paul talked about this for about two or three chapters, did he not? See, when you are a child of God, when God is giving you the gift of faith, there's an instinctive, inevitable response of God's people to this indescribable gift of faith. And that is they are surprisingly generous. Generous in a way that makes the world go, what? They did what? You gave what? They were willing to do what? See, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you are transformed from glory to glory, the more you are with Jesus and his people, the more joyful and natural and sweet generosity becomes in your life. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to live in poverty, but you live in a state of total surrender of your time, of your talent, and yes, your treasure for the benefit of God's kingdom and not your own. Look, it can take years to understand what this concept means and how far-reaching, surprising generosity is, but there should be a direction of it in your life toward being more generous and not more stingy and selfish. Here's another one. How about kingdom resilience? Paul talked about this. Remember all the times, for those of you that were here, I've been shipwrecked three times. I was drifted at sea for a day and a half. I've been beaten. I've been flogged. I've been... I've been almost killed. Uh, people have been arrested me. I've been outside without any clothes or food. I've been poor. I've been all, all this was for your benefit, Corinthians. I've been poured out as a drink offering, he says. That's resilience, which means this. If you are a child of God, you are not going to be easily distracted from your kingdom work by circumstances, emotion, or just a little too tired. Because kingdom is your highest priority. And so therefore you will have what James says, steadfastness, resilience. Here's another one. Living in the sight of God. It's the last sermon before I went away. This understanding means that you know that in your heart and your mind, nothing is hidden from God. We don't always succeed but there is an obvious affinity for righteousness as we practice the presence of God in our lives. Because we understand this. We're not trying to earn our salvation with God, but we're trying to say thank you, God, and bring a smile to Heavenly Dad's face with our life of gratitude to him. That's what living in the sight of God means. That even when we fail, we realize what I just did was not the way a child of God is supposed to act, and I want to change that. All right, that's a lot I just shared with you right there. So while some of you might be intimidated, <clears throat> let me put your mind at ease for just a minute. When God transforms us, he's always doing a good job. Because notice, in all that list, and it's quite an exhaustive list from 2 Corinthians, right? 
all the examples of how children of God should behave and act and the direction they should go. There is nothing in there about perfection. <laughs> Thank God. There's nothing in there about sinlessness. Thank God. Because he knows that we are still, Paul even says, wretched man that I am, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I should do, I constantly don't do. And he goes, I wish I could stop this war between me and my inward man. So it is a conflict. It is a struggle. It is a fight. But none of these things say you have to be perfect. Because we know our salvation is by grace through faith and not by our works and how good we are at religion. That's the one of the things Paul was preaching against. But can I, I'm going to give you, can I be so bold as to say this? And some people, especially those on, you know, the, my conservative people in my past, and when they hear this podcast, they're going to be upset with me. I would be so bold as to say, get this, you might even be struggling with sin while still making progress in some of these areas. What? Well, guess what? You're always going to struggle with sin. If you say you don't, well, you're struggling with lying right there. So, you know, you know right there. Gotcha. When we know our salvation is by grace through faith and not our works, we recognize that while we can still struggle, there is a current ongoing list of consequences to a truly transformed heart. There is undeniable direction. Even when we're struggling, there is a direction of progress and success in some or all of these areas at different times in our lives. And guys, listen, to know that you are a child of God, it's not about counting your sins. You don't, you're not able to count that high. You're not. Maybe you are. I don't know. But rather, I'd rather you focus on taking inventory of righteousness. See, count something different. Count the pattern of loving righteousness in your life more than you love your sin. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to share with you today is I gave you a list of things that are, subject, that are objective that you can look at and say, okay, I need these things in my life to know that I have the gift of faith. And don't look at what you were a year ago. Look at how you are today. And Because James says, you know, test your faith. Paul says, test it. John says, test it. Look at it. Am I doing okay in some of these areas? I'm going to recommend a book for you today. If you have your phone, put a mark or just memorize it. It's one of the best books. It's not new. It's kind of old. It's a book called How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? The author is a guy named Don Whitney. It's a great book. It's small. It's only like eight or nine chapters. It's not heavy reading at all. I mean, so even I could read it. So it's easy. You can get it. You can get it on Amazon, I think. It's not expensive. And it's a great book that outlines the concepts that I've shared with you here today. Because let me tell you something. When you look at your faith, I don't want you to have a response that is one of intimidation. I want you to be encouraged knowing that God is constantly saving you. Not just once. But his mercies are new every morning, day by day, because he knows we need the help. And faith will have specific consequences in your heart. 
That's why Paul says this at the beginning of the book of Philippians. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as you test your faith on a regular basis, be encouraged to know that God is currently saving you. There is ample evidence of it, and he's going to complete the job. If all those things I just laid out, there's no evidence of those in your life, I invite you to turn to Jesus and ask for the gift of faith. Dad, sometimes taking spiritual inventory is not a fun thing to do. But we know that we must do it because the scripture encourages us to do so, so that we can live a life that is encouraged by the proof that you have taken control of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.